Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery, BTR.org. I'm Anne. I'm sure you remember what it was like when you were searching for help, maybe for your husband, hoping to find the right program or therapist. That's why I started podcasting. I supported my husband through seven years of pornography addiction recovery, and not one therapist during that time told me I was experiencing emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. I didn't want any other woman on the planet to be in the dark. If you're like the majority of my listeners, you're experiencing the type of abuse that's invisible and difficult to wrap your head around. Your husband is using porn or having affairs or lying to you, and you're getting the same bad advice about how to improve communication or your relationship. If you need support from women who totally understand, check out our daily group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a session today. One simple anonymous way to help spread the word is to click, follow, or subscribe to the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast on your favorite podcasting app. While you're there, every five-star rating helps make this podcast more visible and will help save other women from getting the wrong kind of help, like a couple program that will make this type of abuse worse. For those of you who follow or subscribe to this podcast, thank you so much. Your support means so much to me. I have a member of our community on today's episode. We're going to call her Ayla. And she is going to share her story. Welcome, Ayla. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And I, I look forward to talking with you today and the rest of the community. <laughs> so let's start with your story. Did you recognize your husband's abusive behaviors at first? At first, no. It was definitely one of those what seemed like a destined type of meeting happenstance. It was definitely more of like a fairy tale at first. And it wasn't until probably about a few months in that I noticed some behaviors that were a little bit unexpected, which I just played off as, oh, he just drank too much. You know, <laughs> I just brushed it off as not a big deal at first. When you say it was a fairy tale, you probably know now that that was a grooming phase. So that actually was abusive. That's the hard part is women don't recognize that. So they don't know that the great part was a grooming phase. They don't know that was part of the abuse. So a lot of the times they'll say it was good. And then it went bad. They don't realize that it was bad the whole time. It was even beyond that because I was working at a ski resort at that time. And he was a tourist with his very extravagantly rich friend who had talked me into joining in a supposed quote unquote business opportunity with a nonprofit. They totally stole my heart with that to convince me to quit my job there in the ski resort and then start this nonprofit, which after a month or two, I realized was a complete scam and set up. You said a couple months in, is this a couple months into the relationship or into the marriage that you start noticing really overt abuse, even though you did not recognize the covert abuse before of the grooming? Is this into marriage or is this into your relationship? Into the relationship, everything was hyperspeed. And that was another thing now in retrospect, that was a red flag warning that I didn't understand at the time. Technically, he stalked me. I didn't really put two and two together. I just thought he really enjoyed my company. He really wanted to help get me into a better financial opportunity with this nonprofit that they were promising me, etc. So yeah, it was just a couple months into just knowing him. So into the relationship, you become boyfriend and girlfriend. You end up moving in together and having a child. When you didn't recognize it was abuse, what types of things did you try to do to make your situation better? Communication. I did attempt to create more communication. However, he was so good with word manipulation and gaslighting that 
always kept ending up that it was my fault for anything and everything that happened. He gave me a head concussion. He bashed my head into a door. So I had a severe concussion. So he kept blaming it on the fact that I wasn't understanding things because of that. And then when I was pregnant, oh, he was blaming it on the hormones and everything. So I didn't have safety and peace in that regard because it was all my fault all the time. When did you start to recognize that common relationship advice, like love, serve, forgive, you know, communicate, stuff like that? When did you start recognizing that that common relationship advice was not working in your situation? I think when I continuously kept catching him in blatant lies with the gaslighting, that's when I realized that he might be mentally ill. I understood that I needed to be more particular and deliberate in how I was creating my existence alongside him, especially since um, we were having a child together. So, Okay. So at that point you start recognizing, Hey, this isn't working, but your go-to isn't necessarily abuse. Your assumption at that time was maybe he's mentally ill or maybe he's not very smart or something like that. Is that kind of where you went first? Yes. Cause he had a really bad addiction to weed. I thought it was, that was the main culprit. I thought that was creating mental illness as well, because um, I read a book called Tell Your Children the Truth About Marijuana, which focuses on violence being a huge result of somebody that does use substances such as marijuana often. Okay, so you're thinking this is just his marijuana. And I'm not saying that marijuana or alcohol or drugs or whatever is not a factor in someone not thinking straight and being abusive, but it doesn't mean they're not abusive, right? It doesn't mean that, okay, like if we solve the marijuana problem, then he's not going to be abusive. That's not the case, right? They are abusive. That is the core. And sometimes a drug or whatever would also increase their abusiveness. So you start recognizing, hey, something's really wrong here. Talk a little bit more about how you were groomed and manipulated in this business and how you ended up being really exploited through all this. I have a big heart. I used to do energy work and counseling and becoming a part of a nonprofit was something that was really intriguing to me because I just want to be involved in something that's amazing to help the community. So with being lied to from the get-go about that, I just really felt that, well, maybe it was just that one opportunity because he always had an excuse for something that was going on. So when we had left together to go to the mountains and start a new life, he was saying that, oh, it was it was his friend's fault that he was behaving the way that he was. He said he needed to get away from the bad influence and that coming to a new life is going to change him. He's going to be a changed man. And that was exactly what he needed. I was exactly what he was need, needing in his life to become a better person. And so, you know, of course, I believed it. I believed all of that. But then I understood that I I kept having to call the police to help me out because there were times that he wouldn't even allow me to close myself off into a bedroom to prevent him from yelling, you know, yelling in my face, shoving me, pushing me, grabbing the baby from my arms, like horrible back and forth fighting that I just I was fighting for my safety to get away. He wouldn't even let me leave the house, too. He would take away the car keys. He also didn't allow me to uh drive the car at times and he had control over that and didn't register the other car so if I tried to leave he said he would call the police and report the car stolen and that I was kidnapping my own child so there were threats now that kept an invisible prison around me in my life 
up to a certain point that I realized I'm trapped now. He put up surveillance cameras and he then spliced up video footage of me defending myself. And he said, I have footage that I can show the police to say that you were abusive towards me. When in truth, I was protecting myself, protecting my son, survival tactics to attempt to get out of the abuse that I was in. So he had blackmailed me for about the two last two and a half years of our relationship, quote unquote, if you want to call it that. And I just, I was trapped. And my son was unfortunately the middle pawn to keep that control over me because the threats were so real. So when do you start to recognize this is abuse? This is a serious abuse situation. Uh, I'm being exploited. I'm being abused. I, he's, you know, sexually coercing me. He's cheating on, you know, all the things he was doing. When do you start recognizing the severity of it and start realizing, okay, I need to start making my way to safety? How, how does that come to pass? Well, there was the one night that he had pushed me very hard to try and, and get me to have a drink of a champagne mimosa. That was the thing that we often did, but I knew that he was doing the coercive control with the surveillance camera called a domestic violence setup. So I knew that he already had that in his back pocket. So the one night I kept refusing, I don't want to drink anything because I knew that he, it was just weird and fishy. And my intuition just said, no, not tonight, stay away. So he handed me a drink, even despite me saying, I don't want to drink. He's like, just take one sip. I'm like, all right. So I took one sip and I gave it back to him. I said, see, I just don't want it. I'm not in the mood. And then he dumped that drink out, which I thought was really peculiar because he loves his alcohol. And normally if I don't want to drink a drink, he puts it in the fridge for himself later. And so I asked, why'd you dump it out? Oh, well, I just, I don't want to drink either. He played it off. 20 minutes later, I felt really odd, sick. And I tried taking myself upstairs to the bedroom and I just, I had to sit and I collapsed on the stairs. Now my consciousness was still there because when somebody is given the Ruflin date rape drug, they, if they have enough alcohol in the system, their consciousness is not there. But because I didn't have alcohol in my system, I was still coherent, very much so. And I remember feeling him standing over my body and he, I seen flashes. He was taking pictures of me, quote unquote, unconscious, which was mm -hmm. really scary. Mm -hmm. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move. And then he finally picked me up and put me on the bed and shut me in there until my baby was ready to be going to bed a couple hours later. And he put the baby in bed with me. So I asked him about it the next night. He said, oh, it was in my imagination. And so then I called the domestic violence center and I had them try and get me help and get me a counselor to see what what they can do to help me out. Because I was so scared because I didn't know what to do at that point if he was doing stuff like that to me. Did you find the domestic violence shelter to be helpful in your area? absolutely not Abs i i was so surprised about how unhelpful they were in a lot of things it was like chasing a mouse like trying to get them to help me it was very like the woman wouldn't return my calls in an appropriate time i tried to get restraining orders it just nothing happened it took a year and a half for something to happen where the, he almost killed my son for them to finally step in and say oh okay yeah i guess we'll help and even at that they believed my abuser over me and they gave up on trying to help me because of the domestic violence setup camera footage that he introduced in courts for trying to gain leverage custody over my son. 
I have found it's like everyone is like, call the domestic violence shelter hotline and, you know, other things as if like you're a victim. It's going to be easy for you if you just reach out for help. Right. And that is I have found is not the case. Also, they do not understand the sexual coercion piece of this, the lying, the emotional abuse, the psychological abuse that you're under. And so they'll just think, what's wrong with her? Instead of realizing that you are suffering from severe trauma, gaslighting, and you cannot see straight and it's not your fault. So instead of actually helping you, they kind of blame you a little bit, some of them. So at BTR, we really recommend that women who have a reportable crime that you don't process that in Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is our daily online group, but that you that you schedule an individual appointment with Coach Renee to help you navigate your local resources safely, because that is really tough and it's a lot harder than people think. And I found the same thing. It's it's really, uh, even though their their purpose is to be helpful, getting back with you and just you know stuff like that is not exactly what happens in real life. Talk about his type of manipulation. You mentioned that he had actually studied manipulative books in order to learn how to like brainwash and stuff. Can you talk about that? Uh, Let me first say is that I never knew he had these books because he was so secretive about a lot of stuff. So he actually had these books sequestered away somewhere, but because he he was moving his stuff around, he, he was a hoarder, he had left them out and forgot to put them back when he went to work. So I looked and I found Robert Greene, the, the 48 Laws of Power, which in theory is a brainwashing manipulation book that is very detailed. He has a lot of examples from history. This author is very well praised for putting this book together. And then The Art of Seduction, at the time I overlooked it. I thought it was just kind of like a couple's book and I just thought, oh no, I don't even want to deal with this. But when I researched it after I left, I realized it was a how-to manual of how to catch, turn your prey catch them as a victim, ultimately give them PTSD to make them controllable and or discard them and get a new victim and do the same thing over and over again. It's just absolutely atrocious because the term victim is used 277 times in the book and prey was only used 13 times, but still it's there. It was so shocking and it is banned from a lot of prisons, state prisons across the United States because they understand how damaging these books are and how bad it would be if these inmates started studying these books because that's all they have is time, right? When they're sitting there. So studying this material would make them become more of a, have a criminal mindset. And when I found these books, especially the 48 Laws of Power, it was like that movie moment where the shift in view of the focused camera just completely zoomed in. And I realized, oh my gosh, it has been a lie this entire time. And then the conversation afterwards, when I attempted to leave for probably the umpteenth time to, to break up with him, he finally confessed to me that he had premeditated our entire relationship and that that when he sat in jail for the three nights when a few months after we met after he put me in the hospital he sat in jail for only three nights he was never tried never went and saw a judge to get a sentence he was thrown out because his story was different from mine but he did sit in jail for three nights and he created this whole elaborate plan to get back at me and to make sure that i suffered financially emotionally 
and that he was going to try to put me in jail. So that way I never knew my son and my son never knew me. His words, I wish I had recorded it at all, but it was a bold confession of truth because he thought I was breaking up. I left finally a month later when I finally mustered up the courage to leave. Real quick before a response, there are a lot of so-called betrayal trauma therapists or coaches or groups out there, but they don't approach pornography use or infidelity as an abuse issue, or they try to quote unquote treat both the abuser and the victim in the same setting, which is unethical. So if you hear something in this episode you relate to, check out the group session schedule at btr.org group. We'd love to see you in a group session today. Now back to our conversation. All right. So you find this book and you're like, whoa, I'm being manipulated. And then a few, and you're thinking, I got to get out of this, but you're trying to figure out how am I going to get myself to safety? A few months later, you're in a fight and he throws your son against the couch. Tell me what happened after that. He went to work and then I called the domestic violence hotline to see what could be done for a restraining order. I got that process started with them. Finally, I called the police, filed a report. And because I had unplugged the surveillance camera that he was spying on me with when he was gone at work, it triggered that he knew something was wrong. So he came home as I was leaving with the police. And it wasn't easy because I was trying to do it very quietly and not have to see him one more time. But yeah, I was granted a four-year restraining order by the courts, even with very little evidence. I was very grateful for that. And the domestic violence people finally said, oh, you know, they were surprised. Like, how did you do that? It was a pure miracle because they had never heard of a, a restraining order being given at length as such as mine in their courthouse. So they worked with me for a short bit, but that's how I got out. And I have been legally abused for the past year and a half. I'm homeless, living with family. I've lost everything. My car has been taken from me. The courts have forced me to continue to have my son keep a relationship with his father. So I am forced to travel once a month to have my son do two four-hour visits in two days. I've spent over $9,000 in the past 10 months. Even without a job, I'm barely getting unemployment. I haven't been able to get a job because of these trips, because I have to travel around five days in total for these trips. The plane tickets are too costly, so I have to drive. It's a 10 hour drive. So even after this fact, the courts are allowing the abuse to happen because they're part of the abuse that is now happening in this aftermath. Finally, this last hearing a couple of days ago, the commissioner finally heard me after I spelled it out with the details and facts of I've spent over $10,000. I've traveled over 50 days for them to do 60 hours of visitation alone. We've been in the car in the past few months or in the past, however, past five trips at a hundred was 110 hours alone, just driving, traveling for these trips, like just outrageous, putting us in icy driving conditions, desolate areas that are unsafe, staying in hotels where there's drug addicts outside. It's just, it's absolutely appalling how much as a victim, I was trying to get help. And my life has completely been ruined, blown to smithereens. And, you know, I'm doing my best to stay grounded and positive that this is just only a time period that I'm going to be dealing with this. But I didn't think it was going to be this way. I was really anticipating and hoping that my son was going to be happy and healthy and that I was going to be happy in, in a successful place of life right now with my own home and 
place to share love with my son. But mm-hmm. It's a lot harder than people think. Have you seen the Netflix show The Maid or Maid? You know, I've been I've been told about it by many people. I cannot because I am still so deep in my right. trauma right now. Mm-hmm. I just I am I'm very empathic and so it would be very challenging. Very hard. Yeah. The hard thing about that is in the end she actually gets free and he gives up custody and I'm, I'm sorry if I'm ruining it for everyone. Sorry, but I, the rest of it is absolutely super realistic. But the end, I think they want to give hope to people, but I'm like that's just not our experience. Like we continue to have to put up with this abuse post divorce and our children are continually abused. And the court systems don't recognize that they are protecting perpetrators and they are not protecting victims. Because if it's not physical, they don't recognize it at all. The emotional abuse, the psychological abuse, and all the hardship and burden that the victims have to put up with. Even if he wasn't abusive at all after this, which they always are, but even if they weren't, I think requiring a victim to interact with someone who has harmed them so grievously is morally and ethically wrong. And so I think that part of it is really tough too. And another thing too, to add on top of that, for me personally, the hardest part of all of this is the guilt that I wish I had just disappeared a long time ago when I was pregnant that, you know, to have disappeared and have him never found me. But the fact now that I have to hand my innocent child over to our abuser and be okay with it when the last the one last image that I, I don't think I can ever have burned out away from my head is him throwing my son on the couch and nearly breaking his neck. It's just the courts will never understand what he's capable of in the energy of it was an accident. Oh, him bashing my head against the wall was an accident. Him nearly crashing the car, screaming in a rage was an, an accident. And there were so many accidents that turn into that one fatality. And that's the hardest part. So I've been following your organization on Facebook. And I really always appreciate the work that you guys have done. So I'm just keeping appraised with um, the good work that you guys do through that. Okay, so you found us on Facebook. I did. Yes. Has has it been helpful to you? Has the information that we've given you been helpful? And can you talk about that? What you guys put out has been so helpful because I understand that I'm holding hands with so many other strong people that have gone through similar things as I. And it makes me feel so honored to know that the strength is being shared from all of you to us who are deep in in the trenches dealing with these things. So you guys and your strength and the opportunities that you provide for learning to progress within ourselves has been so wonderful and so helpful. I don't think I would be nearly put together right now if I hadn't found you all and and the, the amazing things that you have put out. Thank you. That's nice of you to say. If you could go back and talk to your younger self and just talk to her, what would you tell her? Don't ignore the red flags because there were so many. I mean, my whole field was red. I would tell my younger self, you know, start learning about yourself now more because, I mean, I started my my spiritual journey of trying to find myself when I was about 25, but I wish it was sooner and in a different way, because I would have understood and uncovered a lot more 
about how to overcome the hidden traumas that I had. If anybody has uh, Robert Greene books in their library or their significant other, take heed. My domestic violence team, when I brought this to their attention, I'm not even kidding you, they scoffed. They said, oh yeah, that culture. They were completely aware of it. There, There is nothing being done to attempt to alleviate the damage that Robert Greene's books are doing, or just dark psychology. I'll just say dark psychology books in general, because they are there. And the authors attempt to say, well, the victims, the people, people need to educate themselves of how not to be manipulated. If somebody's completely unaware that they're being manipulated, how can they even come close to thinking that they need to prepare for themselves for that kind of situation and scenario when they're completely innocent, you know? So I'm really hoping that the awareness about dark psychology as an abusive tool, it needs to be discussed more because children are suffering. You know, I'm responsible for myself and what I've done. When it comes to the fact that my son was caught in the middle of this because my abuser learned how to be an abusive manipulator because of psychology books, that really hit home. That really hurt. You know, because my son especially is the most innocent angel, like all children, and they don't deserve to be put in that position because of somebody else's decision to desire destruction for somebody else, like abusers do. I had another friend, uh, my late friend, her daughter, same exact situation where her daughter was caught into a relationship and her abuser used these Robert Greene books as well to keep her in control because all he wanted from her was just a child like my abuser just wanted a child from me so so that's something that I really hope becomes more of a talked about topic is the dark psychology that is is hidden in in our society I think a lot of abusers want their victims to get pregnant because it's a way for them to be able to basically control you the rest of their your life yeah. And um, I'm grateful for my son every day. I just, I do struggle with the the fact that I'm stuck to this, this abuser forever. <laughs> I'm having probably the hardest time wrapping my head around how I'm going to make that happen. My focus is so challenged because I am still in shock in a lot of ways about how everything transpired, how everything is still transpiring. I'm just blown away. And and then also, too, on the fact that the court system is fostering this abuse in such a weird way that I was not expecting. So that's another thing, too, that I really want people to understand, that the courts and the law are not always on your side. So we, as a society, have to become a little bit more aware of preparing ourselves and not be reliant or expect that the people that say they are there to help us, they may not actually really be there or on our side. It seems like they're more worried about the perpetrator's rights than the victim's safety. Definitely. Especially when, you know, I'm thinking that the entire time that I'm driving at midnight and I still have like five hours to go to try to get to this court ordered visit for my abuser and my son, I'm like driving in snow and I'm like, where is my rights to say that this is a scary situation that I'm putting myself in and my child too. Like my child's life is being put at risk. I, I don't know how many times I, 
escaped getting hit by a semi truck that was, you know, going over the two lane highway. You know, they don't. Yeah. Abusers rights are more important than mama's rights, my rights, my son's rights. You know, it's just it's surprising. And I mean, I'm I'm thankful. I'm going to say this is going to sound really bizarre, but I am very thankful that my situation is not that bad compared to a lot of other women's stories that I've heard are absolutely just my heart just started sobbing with some of these other women that I heard in their children's situations. So I know I'm lucky in a lot of ways. Um, and a lot of other women and children are not. They end up losing their lives because of the fact that they're trying to forewarn that their abuser is stalking them and that they fear for their life and then they don't have their life the next day because the police didn't listen so i've been in that situation too where i've tried to give a forewarning and the police are like well we can't do anything until something actually happens well great (laughs) appreciate that yeah it's it's really really rough right now and the more we can share our stories the more we can find community like we do at btr and other places the more women will understand it. And if women understand it, then other people will understand it eventually. So I appreciate you taking the time to come share your story today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate you and all the amazing work you're doing for all of us. Thank you. If this podcast is helpful to you, please help us reach other women by following or subscribing and giving us a five-star rating. Thank you for helping other women find us. If you've already purchased a copy of my book, Trauma Mama, Husband Drama, please circle back and give it a five-star rating. A lot of women are searching for books about betrayal trauma on Amazon, and rating Trauma Mama will help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. Your donations keep this podcast going. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom, click on Support the BTR Podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.